Please be seated for our Bible reading. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John chapter 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples could not see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your arms and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. 
And then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? As for you, follow me. And so the rumour spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose that the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Just join me in a short prayer before I begin. Father, we long to see your kingdom come on earth. May we be granted the privilege of playing our part, however small it may seem, and may we be inspired to do so today as we study the example of Peter, whom Jesus raised from the depths of failure and shame to become a powerful servant of yours. Amen. Well, having been asked by Ian to choose a passage about Jesus' resurrection, Brian chose and spoke last week on one of his favourite stories, The Road to Emmaus, leaving me with one of my favourites, the last chapter of John's Gospel, which for me is a, a wonderful Finale, a summary really of everything that Jesus was about. The whole of John's Gospel is a carefully considered record of the impact of the events in Jesus' life that he witnessed firsthand, but nearly six decades previously. And chapter 21 is for me. The firework display that that brings it to an end, if you like. The big boom that fills the sky with beautiful colours. A kaleidoscope of the many facets of Jesus and his life and what he brought into the world. Restoration, opportunity, abundance... Miracle, companionship, work, harvest, effort, service, humility, duty, loyalty, courage. It's all bound up in the symbolism of the story that John records with such clarity. So let's set the scene. Verse 3 Having returned to his home in Galilee after the 
dejection of the trial and crucifixion of Jesus, Peter says to his friends, I'm going fishing. (laughs) It's so like Peter, isn't it? The man of action to seek solace in his work. And I wonder if that strikes a chord with some of us today. His friends go with him. Night was the best time to fish, but they caught nothing. So early in the morning, they return to the shore. And Jesus, whom they don't recognize at this point, is standing on the beach and says, Lads, you haven't any fish, have you? No, comes the reply. So he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And you can imagine them saying to themselves, well, it won't do any good, but we'll do it anyway. So in tired resignation, they do so. And of course, the catch is enormous. John had seen such a miracle before, recognizes Jesus and tells his friend Peter, who impetuous as ever, girds himself because he'd taken off his outer garment to fish, jumps into the water and swims to Jesus, leaving his colleagues in the boat. When they all reach land, they're met with a welcoming sight, a charcoal fire with a fish upon it and bread. But Jesus knows that the bulging net still needs to be dealt with, so he tells them to do that. And such was the impression that this miracle made on John that six decades later, he remembers the exact number of fish. Big fish, we're called. 153. So verse 12, with their work properly attended to, Jesus invites them to breakfast, serving them the bread and the fish. And notice, after his resurrection, Jesus has no need to ask the Father to bless the food. He hands it out himself. That's blessing enough. So let's pause to review the symbolism of this account. These were experienced fishermen, yet having used their skill at the best time, night, and no doubt in the best parts of the lake, as they thought, they caught nothing. They returned to shore in daylight, in the shallows, not the most propitious of uh, areas or times to fish, and yet At Jesus' command, they have a bumper catch, which did not break the net, as you might expect, so nothing was lost. There's so much symbolism here. The breakfast itself, the Lord would meet their physical needs and takes care of his servants. The fire of coals, a reminder of the setting in which Peter denied even knowing Jesus. He did that three times. And now, in like manner, Jesus begins to address Peter in verse 15, asking him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And he uses the word agape, which is the unique love that he brought to earth, a sacrificial love, an intelligent and purposeful love, not sentimental. Do you love me more than these? And he was referring to his fellow disciples, remembering how Peter had boasted earlier, everyone else might leave you, but I never will. And notice Jesus addresses Peter as Simon, son of John, without using the name Peter, the rock, that Jesus himself had earlier given him. Because right now, Peter is anything but the rock Jesus saw in him, and he needs to be restored. But the process is painful. Peter replies, Yes, Lord, I love you, using only the word philo from philein, which is the lesser love of personal affection or liking. But even so, Jesus accepts that and begins Peter's commissioning with the command feed, and it's the present continuous sense, keep feeding my lambs. So he places his much-loved little ones into Peter's care, his first job being to look after the children. Verse 16, Jesus asks a second time using agape, do you love me? And Peter replies as before, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, using philo. And Jesus accepts that answer and tells Peter to shepherd and be shepherding my sheep. And the Greek here is little sheep. It's a term of affection. So what Jesus is doing is directing Peter's love for him towards his flock, which is so dear to Jesus. And it's the whole flock, every single one, including those who go astray and make mistakes, like Peter. And if we're honest, like every single one of us. Verse 17, Jesus a third time asks, Simon, do you love me? But here, he now uses the word philo. In effect, saying, do you even like me? This cuts Peter to the quick. But Jesus couldn't spare him that pain if he was to heal him completely. Jesus isn't getting his own back, not at all, but he needs to fully restore Peter, so must do a thorough job, spiritual surgery, if you like, which may hurt, well, it does hurt, but it's necessary. Peter's newfound humility shows itself in his answer as he recognises and appeals to Jesus' power, Lord, you know all things. 
you know that I have affection, philein again, for you. And he's not even boasting here of any agape love, which you can imagine him doing previously. So you've used philo, but I'm going to use agape. No, you ask me if I have affection for you, and I answer, I have affection for you. Jesus accepts Peter's confession and commands him to feed my sheep and the Greek there connoting my dear little sheep again showing that every member of the flock is dearly loved. So the surgery is over. The spiritual operation is at an end and Peter is no longer the impetuous boaster. He's now a man Jesus can work with and through. Bravado and bluster converted into a humble and contrite heart, attentive and obedient to the master's firm but sensitive touch on the reins of his life and ready to serve him to the end. In Peter's case, that would be martyrdom, to which Jesus alludes in verses 19 and 20, and which was regarded as an honour and a privilege. But that would be in AD 64, so Peter would have 30 more years faithfully shepherding the newly born and growing flock of Jesus. For the Christian, death has been conquered by Jesus and so is not to be feared, although the process sometimes is not attractive and in Peter's case it turned out to be crucifixion under the Roman Emperor Nero. But such was Peter's humility that he requested to be crucified upside down, feeling unworthy of crucifixion in the same manner as Jesus. And thus, as John records, did Peter bring glory to God in his final moments on earth. I end with a quotation from the Bible commentator Besser. He says this, Not at the end of every Christian's course stands the martyr's cross, but no Christian can finish his course without being led from Peter's youth to Peter's age and being exercised in cross-bearing. According to the judgment of mankind, willpower is man's glory. But Christians grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Ephesians 4.13, when they rest resignedly in the will of the Lord whose hand performs miracles with a broken staff and a bruised reed. Change, dear friends, is not only possible, it's inevitable and required for the Christian, but it's always change for the better. Amen.